Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before we begin, this podcast is possible by our sponsor at Ambire. The Ambire wallet is one of the top products in crypto asset management. It is the first open source, non-custodial smart wallet that delivers exceptional user experience combined with solid security. With Ambire wallet, users can easily navigate the world of Web3. It comes packed with features like built-in swaps, cross-chain bridges, integrated earning opportunities, and more. In addition, Ambire offers things like human-readable transaction parsing, eliminating ERC-20 approvals and front-running protection. The smart wallet uses gas abstractions that allow for unique features like paying for gas with stable coins. Users can batch multiple transactions to save time and gas fees. The wallet also supports NFTs and allows you to connect to any dApp via Wallet Connect. You can use it with an email and password or add hardware wallets or hot wallets as signers to upgrade your security. And the best part? Ambire speaks human. The UI is friendly and informative, ensuring you understand what you're doing and eliminating risks for mistakes. Ambire wallet users are currently eligible for continuous wallet token rewards. To learn more and get your Ambire account today, visit www.ambire.com. That is A-M-B-I-R-E.com. So before I introduce our guest today, I have a couple of brief updates for our community. Going forward, we invite everyone to join us on Twitter Spaces, where we will pre-stream each episode the day before publishing it on all of our distribution channels. We also have an NFT program with blockchain-recorded community NFTs. These can be claimed from our webpage, blockchainrecorded.com. So visit our website, check it out, and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for new updates and potential airdrops. So with that in mind, today I host Julien Genestou. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. You did that very well. <laughs> Thanks. The founder and CEO of Unlock Protocol. Julian is a longtime software engineer and entrepreneur, having built two profitable startups, one of which he sold to Medium. His pre-Unlock experiences include advising Gimlet Media and joining Medium as the lead engineer. So with that, without further ado, Julian, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Thank you very much for having me, Nina. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. Um, Julian, you obviously, from what I mentioned, you have a rich entrepreneurial background. You founded two startups, sold one to Medium. Can you take us through your journey and tell us more about this experience? Absolutely. So first of all, um, I'm pretty more of an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, I never actually meant to be an entrepreneur. The first uh, enterprise or company that I created, uh, I created when I was a student myself. Uh, it was the late 90s, early 2000s, and I was looking for a summer job. And everybody at the time, it was kind of the you know the the first big tech bubble. Everybody was like, oh, everything is on online, everything is on the internet. You can just do this. And so I was like, well, I'm going to look for my summer job on the internet. And I really couldn't find any anything. So I was like, ah, maybe you know maybe that's a sign. Maybe I should try to create something, and that's going to be my summer job. And so I created the job étudiant, which literally means a job student in French. Mm. Uh, and that time I didn't really intend it to be a commercial thing that's why I actually picked the .net domain name because it felt cooler than the .com which is like just for corporations right um, anyway so created job um, and really without 
any expectations. It was kind of like a, you know, there was a toy because I did it for real, but it was not, you know, I didn't expect it to be anything. It wasn't a company, it was just a website. I bought the domain name, I bought the hosting myself. And then after a couple of months, McDonald's, um, which I assume was the biggest company in the world. It wasn't, but you know, in my mind, I was a student, it's like the biggest company in the world. Starting to put job offers on the website. And that really is when I started to realize the, the magic of the internet, that permissionless system where a random high schooler, uh, early uh, you know, student can actually create a website uh, and all of a sudden McDonald's uh, put job offers uh, on this. Mm. Really that showed to me how permissionless innovation, uh, and it wasn't that innovative, but like permissionless entrepreneurship uh, was possible with the internet. I didn't have to create a, you know, a company. I didn't have to have an office. I didn't have to have a bank account. I didn't do any of these things. I just created a website and all of a sudden, oh, it's useful for someone, someone uses it. For me, that is the promise of the internet. And that's how I felt, you know, uh, I fell down the rabbit hole of, of the permissionless web. Mm, very cool. This is, it's pretty avant-garde for, because you mentioned this was, um, what was this, like 20 years ago? So early 2000s? Oh yeah, 20, yeah, early 2000s, exactly right. I think we're of a similar generation. So yeah, very avant-garde. So my next question, very cliche. So what brought you to then Web3? Oh, How did your journey evolve from there? Oh, there's a lot of steps in between, obviously. But yeah, so actually I created that website and then I was a student and my dad at the time was like, yeah, this is this is a toy. Uh, I mean, it's like, oh, maybe I can do the business. It's like, nah, not really, it's, you know, it's a toy. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I'll keep studying, I guess. I stayed in school and I, and I got a, a, a degree in computer science. Mm-hmm. And then actually, uh, the funny thing about this, at some point I was like, you know what, I, it, maybe I could make money with it. So I started to put uh, ads um, and it was the beginning of Google AdSense, I think it was 2004. So I put ads on it and the first month we made between 6000 and $7,000, oh, wow. which was kind of, you know, pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have, remember, I didn't have a company at the time. So it was like, I just put the check on my own bank account. And my dad at the time, who still had access to my bank account, was like, <laughs> what is going on here? You, you, Where's the money coming from? And it's like, no, don't worry, dad, this is actually a, a cool thing uh, because I, I'd done some stupid stuff when I was a teenager. It's like, don't worry, this time it's all it's all good. It's like, no, it's not all good. You can't actually put checks on your bank account from a company, uh, Google. And so you have to create a company. You have to, you know, you have to think of it as a business. Mm. And so I, I actually went for one year and get a, an entrepreneurship uh, degree in some way out of a business school in France, mm-hmm. where I learned about, you know, accounting and finance and marketing and all of these things that okay. as, a, as an engineer, I was like, eh. <laughs> um, but I actually found it more interesting than, than, uh, than I anticipated. Um, and um, eventually that kind of um, made me realize, okay, uh, that's what I want to do. I want to do businesses. I want to create companies mm. that are using the internet uh, and making, uh, you know, taking advantage of this new powerful medium. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to San Francisco uh, because that was, you know, Mecca and I wanted to be there. Right. So I moved to San Francisco. And then when I was there, I created my second um company uh, which was called still called Superfeeder and the idea behind Superfeeder is there's this uh, open protocol called RSS and if you're listening to this as a podcast you might not know of RSS but it's actually thanks to RSS that you listen to this it stands for really simple syndication and it's a data format that allows uh, websites to exchange information in a standard way so basically you're listening to you know this episode in a podcast application and it's actually fetching uh, the information from a server maybe Apple maybe Spotify maybe directly uh, from the blockchain recorded uh, website Um, and the format that it uses to um, download that information is actually called RSS Mm -hmm. and so I created this company called Superfeeder to make it easy for anyone to publish and consume RSS feeds. Um, it was created in 2009 and roughly was the same time that 
Twitter and Facebook started to become popular-ish. I'd say popular in you know some specific circles, uh, not not as big as they are today, obviously, but started to be popular. And for me, it was like the open version of this because an RSS feed allows me to follow someone remotely from their website. You know, follow a publisher site, follow maybe um, you know some data stream of weather information, and so really kind of remote follow things. And this RSS protocol is really a decentralized version of what. Twitter and Facebook we're building. And again, with my mind of like the internet is magic, decentralized should win all the time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that turned out not to be true. Um, Superfeeder, even though it was profitable, um, didn't really grow um, that much. Mm. Eventually, we sold it. I sold it to uh, one of our biggest customers, medium.com, as you said earlier. Um, and I kept mm-hmm. wondering why the decentralized web was not winning in that example. And that really how it eventually came to Web3 because I realized that if you think about the, the internet, everything was monetized with attention, with ads. And, you know, every business, every content creation is monetized with, or has been for the longest time monetized with ads. And if you think about this from an advertiser's perspective, if you're, say, a big airline company, you know, a big McDonald's again, mm-hmm. and you want to spend a billion dollars in ads on the internet, it is so much easier to go to Facebook or to go to Google than to go to a thousand small sites and each give them a little bit of, of the money. Mm-hmm. And so that means that the distributed, the decentralized internet is going to be always, you know, at a disadvantage versus the larger uh, silos because they're not going to be able to make money as well. And so really when I when I was at Medium, actually Medium tried to do ads as well and the result we're getting were not that good. Um, and so we, we came out with the idea of doing a membership model and maybe we'll talk about this, but it worked actually much better than uh, what, you know, I anticipated at least initially. And that made me realize like, okay, there's actually an alternate to attention. It's called memberships. And I want to build this as the next business model for the internet. Uh, and that's when I discovered, you know, the concept of Web3. At the time, it wasn't called Web3, but blockchain, etc. And that's how I ended up building uh, Unlock. Okay, yeah, you just actually alluded to to what I want to get to next. I actually, I listened to, to several of your previous podcasts, where that's actually how I was captured, um, I guess, your, your vision of, of Unlock. You talk about the notion of membership, membership versus attention economy, which is a, obviously it's a hot topic and we're all kind of sick of it <laughs> in certain respects. We're all too familiar with the fact that the main currency today is human attention. So it, it's, it resonated with me greatly because there's, I feel like there's super, really true value in your project's purpose. So empowering creators and members versus treating them as a commodity which is what your website says tell us tell us about this more yeah absolutely so uh for me attention is i mean it's obviously there's a lot of debate uh, debate not debate a lot of um time thinking these days about stuff that we've considered as normal that are actually not normal and if you think about you know global warming it's a consequence of our very very strong dependence on on the carbon economy in that way and i think we're seeing the same kind of thing around the attention um economy where we're slowly start to realize like how dangerous it is and how uh destroying uh it is in in many ways so yes it has some benefits it you know makes everything free and we can talk actually a bit about this at some point because i actually don't think that's this true Mm -hmm. but it has a lot of consequences around how we collectively behave as groups because all of a sudden the content, the information that you know bubbles up to the top, yes. that is visible by everyone, is the one that actually gathers the most attention. It's not necessarily the most true. It's not necessarily the most useful. It's not necessarily the most actionable. Yes, uh, you know, all over Europe right now, there is same as in the US, a lot of you know, uh, let's say political movements um, that are taking, uh, you know, control of some countries, um, and 
whatever people can think of these, their their success is actually rooted on the fact that they're able to kind of leverage that attention in ways that are not always, again, rooted in reality or in truth. Um, and so that create a lot of tension uh, rather than actually solve problems. Um, and this all comes back to, again, the fact that the content, the information that is the most monetizable is the one that actually is gathering the most information. It doesn't matter if it's true. It doesn't matter if it's helping people, you know, be smarter, make better decisions. It is the one that actually creates the most attention. Mm. And so for me, that creates a lot of problem. It creates problem for creators because the one that are creating valuable content are actually not able to be monetized. Uh, if you think about journalism, you know, writing long pieces is not making a lot of money. You have to write, you know, you know hit pieces, uh, the one that are actually creating debate uh, more than creating consensus in some ways. When we need consensus to work as, as societies, it creates issues for consumers. It means that it actually is hard to find information because when you do a search on the social networks or even on Google, the stuff that will bubble up the first is not necessarily the most useful or the truest thing. It's the thing that is actually the most monetizable by, because it's grabbing attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it creates, uh, you know, all of the political problems that we've discussed earlier. And I think it also creates economical issues. Um, the fact that the internet now is being dominated, and not just the internet, actually, most economies is being dominated by a very small number of actors is a direct consequence of this. These companies are the ones that are best able to farm attention. Uh, and they're the one actually who end up deciding of of our fate in many more ways that I think people realize uh, already. Yeah, with the content, yeah. Yes. Okay, so then in terms of membership economy, then, and let's try to merge then the NFT yes. concept. So for most people, NFTs, for most people, I'm just talking in general, Most, pe- most mostly what NFTs represent are the JPEGs, but there's obviously much more. Yes. The use cases for NFTs are growing and increasingly getting more and more interesting. So... To sort of set the stage, can you share with us your view on NFT use cases beyond just the simple board apes? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And go from there. Absolutely, and it's it's hard because a lot of people really see the you know see the monkey and don't see the thing behind the monkey. Um, yes. The way I think of NFTs when I tell people like when people ask me like, hey, what's an NFT? I tell them, of course, there is a visual aspect. Pretty much everything that we think has to be visually identifiable. Mm. But the right way to think of an NFT is almost in the same way that you think of a website. What's a website? And everybody has like, a website is a thing you go to on the internet. Well, an NFT is a thing that you that represents something on the internet in that way. Right. Um, a website can be, you know, a content site. We said earlier, like, a, you know, a New York Times or it can be an e-commerce site, Amazon or even a small Shopify stuff. It can be a blog. It can be a game. It can be an application. Uh all of these are websites. NFTs, you have to think of it the same way. An NFT is just a representation of something digital. And that something may be the most interesting aspect that it has to be unique. It is not forgeable. So when you think about a, a monkey picture that we talked about, it's a representation of a specific picture. And more importantly, it says who owns that specific picture from a, from a smart contract perspective. And that itself is something that we probably need to define. Um, and that's it. And so it creates, the NFT creates an easy way to identify, you know, objects in real life uh, from, you know, uh, a, a computer um, if it had a digital representation, would be through probably an NFT because it has a unique identifier that can be linked to the physical piece. It is a way to represent also concepts. For example, a diploma. A diploma, you might have a paper version of the diploma. An NFT is actually a good way to represent a, a, a diploma because it's unique. It's something that belongs to you, that was granted to you by a school or by some kind of uh, university, and now is, is is a good way to represent this in a, virtual, in a, in a digital uh, version. What I think is that NFTs are also a very, very good tool to represent memberships, to represent that someone is a part, a member of a group. 
And so that membership thing might be just people that have access to content. So let's say a musician put their music online, they might want to have their own membership group uh, or their own members and say, hey, only members are able to access my, my content. And the easy way to identify them rather than actually have a database of you know email addresses or whatever that is would be to say, hey, anyone who has an NFT, whenever they show up on my site, I'll give them access to the music. It's also a software license. If you think about you know uh, using Photoshop, uh, well, the people that use Photoshop are themselves uh, members of a group, a special group of people and the people that have a, a software license to access Photoshop. So really NFTs, yes, they have a physical representation, a physical, a visual representation, but it's not necessarily the most important thing, at least not for the, 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 the use cases where NFTs are not collectible, which has been the thing that we, we all seen in the last year and a half. What about the argument that NFTs can be exclusive? So, you know, when you talk about memberships, you know, you, you automatically think, I mean, it's, it's a good thing, but what about the fact that they can be only for a select few or select percent? Do you, do you actually consider this or are you attempting to reach a wider audience at this point with your protocol? Or We're absolutely attempting to reach a wider audience because, yes, you know, there's going to be expensive NFTs in the same way that, you know, the, yeah. the membership to some very fancy club uh, in, uh, in, in New York City is exclusive. But at the same time, mm. the gym membership to the local, uh, you know, uh, um, um, sports club is pretty much cheaper and a lot more accessible. Um, so, and they're all, if you think about this, memberships are, you know, it's the same object, it's a membership. One of them might be expensive, one of them might be cheap. Right. One of them might be unlimited in supply. The musician that I described earlier putting the, web, the music on their website might not want to have a cap on the number of members. Say, hey, I want to have as many as I want, uh, as I can. And so there's no cap, but some other clubs are much more exclusive. There's gonna be at most a hundred people that can do X, Y, and Z. Um, they can be earned also because in the that here, they're purchased. But I think the diploma actually is a membership you think about this a diploma to a school is something that you know yes in some school you actually pay to at least attend but True. in some others you might not pay that much and earn the thing in the end and it's something that is you don't have to pay for it's something that you earn because you've done certain things your driver license again you might pay a little bit to get it but it's actually not the biggest barrier it's not how much you pay it's like did you actually get the driving exam and did, did you get you know did the inspector say hey you drove well enough that i give you the driver license and it's a membership you're a member of the drivers of a specific country in, the, in that in that scenario so i think if you think about membership as a primitive there's many many kinds some of them will be exclusive others will not however one thing that i want to say is like if you think about the again back to the uh, the the creator economy or uh, the membership economy versus the attention economy in the attention economy it's really really hard to make a living if you're outside of the mainstream. You know, we've all seen the, let's take music again as an example, we've all seen the the long tail of revenue on Stripe, on Stripe, on uh, on Spotify. Mm. A very small number of, of musicians make a lot of money. Uh, the one that are being listened, you know, millions of tens or hundreds of millions of times. Mm -hmm. And then a long tail of people that are getting, you know, uh, thousands of listens per day are actually not making a lot of um, not money at all or they're making a couple cents a day uh, at best. Right. And so, while in practice, these even these people, they might have a hundred true fans, a thousand true fans that would be willing to pay, you know, 10 or 20 bucks a month to support them. Um, and right now, the attention economy makes them, it makes it impossible for them to actually capture this, uh, the, 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 the value that they create for a small number of fans, because the only way to actually capture value is to be listened by everyone. And so that creates kind of this, this 
you know, culture of mainstream things versus just, uh, you know, very different niche uh, of people that care about different things. Yeah, no, in terms of membership, yeah, it's, it's a broad spectrum. I mean, it's just like how we have it today. Yep. Um, but at the same time with NFTs, yeah, you are solving the, the problem of the creator ownership, really. Absolutely, yep. So if I read correctly, you started, let, let's let's shift gears to Unlock. Yes. You started developing the idea in 2018? Yes, absolutely. So... Um, the idea started to come in my mind when I was at Medium and actually that's a thing that I wanted Medium to do and Medium didn't actually do that so I decided to even create my own version of this mm-hmm. but basically yeah it's the idea that so when Medium did their membership program and it worked better than I thought I realized like well Medium does it anybody can do this like you know Blockchain Recorded could have its own membership uh, a small writer on his blog could have its own membership a small indie game developer could have its own membership and offer you know perks in the games to, to people that purchase this but for everyone to do this we need to simplify and more than simplify we need to standardize we need to make it work the same across the web one of the examples that I thought a lot about at the time and I still think a lot about is the App Store you know before Apple came up with the App Store the number of people who were paying for software was actually very, very low. Mm. Most people didn't have, you know, Photoshop or Microsoft Office, or they would download pirated versions. But after the App Store, all of a sudden, everybody was buying software. It was $1 here, $1 there, $5 for this in-app purchase. So much so that at this point, I think more than 50% of iOS users actually spend, I think, more than $10 a month on the App Store. Mm. So now everybody pays for software. And you move from a world where very smaller people pay for software through very large, you know, organization companies to a world where a lot of people are able to pay for this. And I was thinking, hey, can we actually make memberships easy enough that we would actually have the same thing where lots of small indie creators would be able to actually make a little money or maybe decent amount of money by selling membership to their fans and making it easy enough for these fans to actually purchase these memberships. Mm-hmm. 2018 was the, was the ERC-721 Ethereum non-fungible token standard active? It was becoming a thing. It wasn't active. I mean, you know, it was becoming a thing. Yeah. So CryptoPunks, the first uh, NFTs are actually not ESC721. Mm. Uh, CryptoKitties, uh, which, you know, uh, made a bunch of noise um, yeah. late 2017, mm. was the beginning of ESC721. So in terms of Unlock, if I quote your website, it goes something like this. Unlock, unlock for creative communities and the humans who build them. So to go further... Unlock is an open source and community protocol for memberships. Users can create memberships and sell access through NFTs, just what we talked about. So let's just, if we can go through it. So first, who are users? Who are customers? Maybe you can shed some light over there. Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's two questions here. Who are users? Well, in the end, it should be everyone. It should be, you know, you, when you get an Amazon Prime membership, you know, you would be a user of Unlock. Amazon would be a user of Unlock also in that, in that scenario. Yeah, we, we talked about this actually during our, our first conversation, yes, right? Um, Amazon Prime locks. Yes, I mean... I'm a, <laughs> and you unlock. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, if you think about Amazon Prime, right? This this is a membership. Obviously, it's called yes. the Prime membership. It's a membership. It's one that you pay every month. Yeah. It is not exclusive. I mean, it might be expensive, but at least in the US, I think there's a hundred million... Uh, household that are members so it's you know at this point it's It's like a standard yeah yeah it's a standard thing that most families get Mm. it is actually not visual it doesn't have an image you don't know what an amazon prime membership looks like i know you i have one because it's in my wallet when i go check out actually maybe i know what what i have like for people that are in the u.s that listen to me they know that if you go to whole foods uh you can actually show your amazon prime membership and it looks like a qr code into inside of the amazon app so it doesn't really have a you know a fancy picture of a a monkey specifically here (laughs) so it's a membership um and 
and it could be an NFT. And the reason why it would be a, good to be an NFT yeah. is because now I can go anywhere and show it. Right now, the only way I can show it is if I download the Amazon app and the people in, on the other side are able to read the Amazon app, which is not obvious. But if it's an NFT in my wallet, I can actually go to you know a random store and say, hey, look, I'm an Amazon Prime member. Give me some benefits if the store wants to open them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, going back to your question, um, who are the users? So in the end, it's, you know, who are the users of HTTP? Who are the users of websites? Well, everyone. Who are the customers? That's a bigger question. Uh, same, we're building the protocol exactly like you think about HTTP uh, or these, it's open source, everybody can use this. But I do think that our first set of users are early adopters and more importantly, they're developers. They are people that are actually building yes. application experiences for other people to consume. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that you know we all use HTTP, the customers of HTTP are probably the developers that are building websites for other people to use down the line. So it's actually a very similar approach here. Your website also talks about or mentions token gating memberships, what we just talked about, ticketing and so on. Can you maybe talk about each feature just a bit to, to clarify? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about a membership, usually it gives you benefits, right? A membership that doesn't give you benefits is not that useful. Right. <laughs> uh, and the benefits can be accessing stuff that other people can't access. That's the token gating mechanism that we describe. So on the website, there is basically, you know, um, a paywall um, and you can go behind the paywall if you prove that you own a specific NFT. Uh, ticketing, it's the same idea, right? If I have a ticket to a concert, well, it's the concert is token gated. Basically, I cannot enter the venue unless mm-hmm. I prove that I have a ticket. So it's the same, you know, kind of benefits. Uh, but there's also kind of benefits. For example, you can think of people built a, 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 dis, uh, a Shopify integration where benefits include discounts. So if I have a specific NFT in my wallet, instead of paying the full price for a product or instead of paying, you know, um, uh, I mean, instead of paying the full price for a product, then I get, a, I get a discount. Or maybe I get access to a catalog of product that is only available from members. Uh, people that don't actually have the NFT cannot access these. So these are the kind of benefits that memberships offer. One of the other benefit in it, we're going back to the A picture, is actually the fact that it's visual. When I was at Medium and we did the membership program, when we asked people why they paid for, an answer that was coming a lot was the green halo around the avatar. Mm-hmm. And so that's a benefit. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't let you do something special. It makes you look different. Mm-hmm. And so the status itself is a big part of the memberships. The Blockchain Recorded Podcast is a media partner with the Stronger Together Challenge Initiative. Our collaborative role extends to hosting topic-specific panels to facilitate discussion and perspectives within varying industries related to the Web3 space. Let us have a few words with Laurent Perello, the initiative founder. Laurent, what is the Stronger Together Challenge Initiative? First, we have to mention that it's an ecosystem initiative. In other words, a voluntary movement encompassing leading partners and projects of the Tron and BitTorrent chain ecosystem. What are the main goals of this initiative? The main goal is to demonstrate the powerful together effect. As I used to say, together is much more than a world. It's, uh, it's magic. We aim to show to the whole crypto industry and beyond that the Web3 revolution is not about competition, but rather about cooperation. You know, we are really supportive, welcoming, open-minded and inclusive. It's not a marketing speech. This initiative is also a way to confirm our long-term commitment, regardless of the bear or bull market situation and our determination to keep on building every day, guided by a long-term vision and a humanistic philosophy. Thanks, Laurent, for illustrating what Stronger Together stands for. Season one of the initiative successfully ended, while season two is planned to start in December. Let me also mention that panels will be celebrated by NFT airdrops. Stay tuned for further updates.
a, just a word about the aim for NFTs integrating to different platforms. So with with Unlock, in terms of cross-platform interoperability, just to have a mouthful, what does that mean? How does it work? And where are you in terms of yeah, that concept? Absolutely. And, and that's a critical concept of Web3 more than Unlock specific, specifically. So it means that basically the membership exists in a neutral space. Instead of being something that is stored in a database hosted by a specific company, the NFT exists on a blockchain that anybody can access, anybody can read uh, in a way that makes it possible for two applications to leverage the information without actually even knowing about each other. So let's take another example. Um, On my blog, I have a little membership. Obviously, if you have have one of these NFTs, you can read uh, some articles. If you don't have it, you can't read the article. But I've also built another uh, application um, that's basically a Discord bot um, that if you have my NFT from my blog, the same, then you can access a specific uh, channel on Discord. And really that's the cross-platform aspect here because my blog can disappear tomorrow. The people that have access to Discord will still be able to access this because the NFT itself is not stored on the blog. It's not stored on Discord. It's stored in the chain on a different location. What's more interesting even is that you, Nina, could say, hey, I'm going to create a forum on a website and it will only give access to people that have Julian's membership. And in that way, you don't even have to ask my permission. You can say, hey, I can verify on chain. When people come visit my forum, I'll ask them to connect their wallet so I can authenticate them. I can identify who they are. And then I can check on chain whether they have one of Julian's NFT. And if they do, then I'll show them the content. If they don't, I will not show them the content. And really that's kind of multiplayer membership is really something that for me is critical and really, really interesting. Um, Imagine a scenario where I am Starbucks, I have a membership NFT. Now, anyone that has a membership NFT can show up in my uh, you know, coffee shops and they'll get a discount or they'll get some specific perks. But now another company, say Delta Airlines, say, hey, we really like Starbucks uh, members. What if for anybody who's a Starbucks member, when they, fly, when they fly with Delta, we'll give them a free coffee that completely changes the experience around the loyalty program. Now, Starbucks might say, hey, this is great. Like Delta has this perk. They don't have to actually share information. Uh, They don't have to share a list of users or list of customers that would actually be illegal in many places because of GDPR and a bunch of regulation. But anyone on the flight can actually prove to Delta that they own a Starbucks NFT and then get a free coffee uh, for the flight. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So my question is, you know, you talk about this conceptually, but then I'm actually trying to actually picture myself, you know, having this NFT and actually using it just as a lay person. I'm always concerned with security and privacy. Yeah. Just adding a a, a different layer now. How do you deal with this issue? Or if you even have, are are there any common security risks when dealing with this? Yeah, absolutely. So security would be basically someone steals your wallet uh, and then uses your memberships to access content. And that's the same risk as... As if you're like a physical wallet. (laughs) Like a physical wallet. Exactly. That's the the number one risk. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously there's, you know, multiple crypto wallets. Uh, Some of them are more secure than others, uh, but all of these things are not specific about Unlock, and, and mm-hmm. hopefully that's also something that the ecosystem altogether is mm-hmm. is improving and making progress on. So, so, so there's that. One thing that we've built in though into the NFTs themselves, and that's uh, the NFT memberships, and it's completely optional, is that we've decoupled ownership from transfer rights. Okay. So you could have in your wallet an NFT that cannot be transferred from the wallet 
directly, but can only be transferred by another wallet. So you can say, hey, this is my, it's my hot wallet. I can go around and if somebody steals my hot wallet, it's okay because the transfer rights are actually stored on my, you know, cold wallet, my hardware wallet, or on a multisig, or even maybe through a trusted third party. So that when I lose my public key, uh, or somebody else accesses it, my private key, sorry, mm -hmm. then they can transfer all of my membership to another wallet of mine, and I can still use them uh, wherever I go without anybody being able to actually steal them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 for sure. So, so that's one of the, the aspects around security. The other thing that you mentioned is privacy. And this one is, is also a, a pretty significant thing that we're thinking a lot about. Um, not just us, but the whole space is like, as I said, right now, the way to go to a website would be to show your wallet. And basically, they would see that you have a, a specific membership. They would see all of the membership that you have and maybe even all of the funds that you've had. So we're trying to actually prove uh, a system, and it's, it's doable, uh, just that we haven't had the time to implement it, a system where instead of actually showing my wallet, I can show a proof of ownership of a specific NFT. So I would go to your website, I would say, hey, he's a proof that I have a Julian membership. Mm -hmm. You'd be able to read that, you'd be able to verify this, but you wouldn't know which of the Julian members I am. Makes sense. And so that improves privacy significantly. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's dive more into the technical uh, the technicals of Unlock. Yes. As I understand, you deployed your first smart contract on Ethereum mainnet. Yes. Probably back at the time when gas fees were not, not a sure. thing. <laughs> I mean, they were a thing, but there was always a thing. But, yeah, yeah. But nobody cared or nobody worried too much about that. Yes. Well, when the Ethereum transaction prices skyrocketed, most of the projects were searching for alternatives. Yep. What was your alternative L1 solution? Yeah. So initially, we were a bit bummed because we, I deeply believe that, you know, um, we want the use case of Unlock to exist on blockchains. And if they're all going to end up very expensive, it's going to be a nightmare because nobody can ever mm -hmm. do these cheap, you know, $1 or sub dollar membership without actually paying, you know, a significant share of that, even more than that sometimes in gas. So the first uh, that we've seen emerge is a blockchain called, at the time it was called XDAI, uh, now it's called Gnosis Chain, and we deployed Unlock there. And the good thing about Unlock is a set of smart contracts that are using you know, Solidity, basically, and then compiled to um, the EVM, uh, the Ethereum Virtual Machine, so it can be deployed anywhere where that works. So initially we did we went to XDAI, which is now called Gnosis Chain, then we added Polygon, then now we're on, uh, on um, Optimism, Arbitrum, Avalanche, Celo, Binance Chain. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to be everywhere. It's not our choice, it's, it's like we're not choosing where people deploy their smart, their smart contracts. You as a creator choose where you want to go. Mm -hmm. We actually have a, a couple you know, uh, recommendations or we have um, advice. So it's like, hey, this is a cheap one. You should go on this. It's an expensive one. Maybe you can go on mainnet. Um, and we're also building the tools to actually make it really easy for people to not have to worry about what chain they're on and where they're going to pay gas. We're trying to build right now uh, what we call cross-platform membership, uh, cross-chain memberships, which is basically a way to say, I'm going to pay on one chain and get the NFT on another chain. It doesn't actually matter uh, because I can easily okay. pay where I'm at and then get the NFT because my wallet address is the same across multiple chains. Th this is what you're doing now or this is what you're trying to develop now or is it already working? So it is currently being developed. Uh -huh. Uh, and that's uh, a feature of the core protocol that we hope to have uh, by the end of the year. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So how, how transaction heavy is your solution for the user? I mean, you did talk about all the different alternatives, but just, just to sort of talk about the transaction part. Uh, so users will make probably one single transaction members, the one that they use to buy a membership. Um, and so that's the only thing that they ever need to do is like, okay, I will do buy the, the membership. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if this is a recurring membership, they might have to do it every month or they do two at the beginning. They want they approve 
you know, doing it 10 times and then they do the first one and then the nine next ones are going to be done by the network automatically. So my perspective, from my perspective, it actually is not that heavy for most users. Uh, they will do one transaction once in a while in the same way that, you know, you pay for New York Times once a month uh, and, and that's it. Uh, you do that in the beginning and then it should become automatic after this. You don't have to, re to remember or, or have to do it again explicitly. Okay. Okay. Back to sort of what I mentioned, or I asked you about the, the EVM standard. I suppose all EVM chains use the same NFT standard, right? What about other ecosystems like Polkadot or Solana or Cosmos? Yeah. So we're, we're, we're not there yet because we're still a pretty small team and we would have to kind of redevelop the smart contracts everywhere. Mm -hmm. I can imagine a world in which at some point, uh, you know, Unlock exists on Polkadot, Solana, mm -hmm. Cosmos. Uh, we actually have people that have asked for this. Hopefully this is also something that somebody else can contribute. Unlock is completely open source. Um, there's nothing that prevents anyone from saying, hey, I want this to exist on, you know, you mentioned a few uh, near, I'll deploy it. Um, my goal would for, 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 would be for that to happen. Our, my sense, though, is that at this point, a lot of the developer developer ecosystem, the developer ecosystem is actually much bigger on on the EVM ecosystem than it is anywhere else. And then it any any day that passes, that advance increases. Um, so, as much as I think it's possible to be anywhere, for now it's not a focus of ours because it would actually require a lot of effort for an unclear gain down the line. Um, you also have an unlock token, right? As, as a governance yes. token, um, yes. UDT. So can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. So one of my deep convictions is like open source until now was really, really hard to govern. Uh, if you go back 5, 10, 20, 50, almost 50, 30 years ago, open source projects were usually are usually led by a few benevolent people that are you know, willing to do the work of supporting the software that it created. And a lot of other people are reaping the benefits of this. Uh, if you think about the web stack, the internet, I mean, everything, a lot of it is open source. Uh, very few people contribute to this. A couple of years ago, we had a big, a big scare with the Heartbleed uh, vulnerability, which was discovered in a critical you know, um, uh, layer of, of security in the internet that almost you know, took down many, many, many websites. Mm -hmm. That was coming because I didn't, we didn't have good governance for open source project. It was really hard for anyone to actually contribute to um, get a share of ownership uh, and, and make these things better. I think one of the things that crypto brings to the table is the, actually the ability to have these public goods because open source projects are eventually public goods to be collectively governed as well if the initial creators want it. And that's something we wanted to do for Unlock. We really want to say, okay, cool, we're building this, but we're not building it for us. We're building it for everyone else. We're building for us and everybody else who wants to use this. But our goal is that everybody who wants to use this shouldn't be relying on us. They should be able to get a stake, an ownership stake in how the protocol works, how the protocol spends some of its funds because the protocol has a little treasury how the protocol should reward some some participants or incentivize other participants to actually use it. And so we built the governance token, it's called UDT, at the core of the protocol. If you're, if you're not a crypto person, you can almost think of it as an, as an airline miles program, where when you fly with an airline, every time you accrue some miles, these miles in, in airlines allow you to get cheap tickets mm -hmm. in Unlock and in many DAOs, these miles that you accrue allow you to actually 
vote on where the airline should fly next uh, and, and vote on what kind of plane they should buy or what kind of food they serve. Um, so it gives you governance rights around how the protocol works itself. Mm-hmm. And I went through also um, when I was reading your website, your blog. So Unlock DAO was launched in 2021, right? Yes. Is it fully decentralized and run by your community or users or is that still sort of so the DAO is actually fully decentralized the DAO is a smart contract on the on the blockchain it's called a governor contract and then people can submit proposal and then other people can vote uh, on these proposals uh, and if they if enough people vote on this proposal they get executed uh, and and yes. I or nobody else can prevent this from happening what is not fully decentralized yet I guess is the token supply we still own a majority of the tokens um, and the reason for this is because I think we're still early and our goal is to distribute them to people that are building rather than just you know uh, randomly put them out there for people to grab uh, so we've been a bit slow to distribute these because we try to really distribute these along with the growth say okay if you're building some cool things uh, you should apply for a grant um, we actually have a distributed grant committee so other committee members can approve the grant and at that point if you execute on your uh, proposal then you'll get paid mm-hmm. uh, you'll receive some uh, governance token as a reward for your work and you collaborated with Tally if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Uh, so Tally uh, provides us the front end for the DAO, uh, like it does for uh, a lot of these things. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, we actually had Denison on, on our podcast too. So it was actually very nice. Yeah. Very cool to talk to him. Yeah, it was, it's it's nice to to talk to different actors of the formula, right? And just um, and have these conversations and, and make things um or make sense out of everything. Yeah, one of the things that I really love about the blockchain crypto ecosystem is really kind of the collaborativeness. Like there's a ton of, it's, so it's actually the Unix philosophy, I, and if people are technical in, when they listen to this, so the, the Unix philosophy is like do one thing well. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why when you use the command line, there's a very a large number of very small tools like, you know, to copy a file, to delete a file, to uh, cat, which is display a file. And so, so the Unix philosophy is like, okay, do each, each little piece of code to do one thing really well. And the crypto system is kind of like this, where there's a ton of very small, you know, very narrow thing that should do it well and then integrate with the rest. And that's kind of what I like about the ecosystem. And, and Denison and, and Tali are building some really, really cool stuff around governance. Feels very niche and narrow, but then it really is something that empowers Unlock, for example, to actually have its own governance program rather than us building uh, a full UI plus smart contract that would leverage this. Yeah, and also for 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 people who are listening, right? Um, every time we have a conversation about something, it just reiterates the theme more and more and connects the dots more and more. And just what you said, collaboration, I mean, it's part of human nature. So must not forget about that part. Yeah. I wanted to, to just move on to ask you about, so Unlock's roadmap. We talked, we actually, I, I told you briefly before we started the call that I, I listened to your community call about Flocker. Yeah. So... Flocker? What is Flocker? Yeah, yeah. what is Flocker? Um, so we've built the, the core protocol and we're still building, as I said, for example, the, cross, uh, the cross-chain purchase is one of the mechanisms that's coming. At the same time, we're also trying to show what kind of tool people can build and why Unlock as a protocol is useful. The last few weeks have been pretty uh, intense at Twitter. Uh, and there is uh, for... You don't say. You, I don't, right? <laughs> uh, and then one thing that we, I started to realize, like, so people are saying, oh, we should use, you know, Mastodon and Mastodon is great. So you should use some other Twitter clone that are emerging left and right. 
The problem though is like when we go use these things, we're just doing more of the same. We're just, you know, replicating the same model that Twitter had to some other place. Mm-hmm. And I know Mastodon is using some different mechanism around federation, but it's still kind of the same where in practice your data is stored on a specific instance of Mastodon or a specific instance of a clone. And then if that goes away or if this is mismanaged, well, you've lost uh, your social graph. So we've tried to build a tool called Flocker, whose only goal is to say, hey, your social graph should actually exist on a chain. So each of you think about the social graph, it's a membership. You know, people that follow me on Twitter are my members. It's kind of a weird way to frame it, but they're members of the group of people that follow me on Twitter. Um, and so we created Flocker as a simple app for anyone, whether without a wallet, uh, whether without uh, gas or money to pay for gas, can deploy a membership contract and then invite all of their followers on Twitter specifically to kind of flock with them uh, by claiming one of these memberships. And then what we show is really kind of the cross-platformness because there is already in the in the ecosystem a dozen applications that you can use right today to actually tokenate content just for people that have claimed your membership. So I deploy my membership contract and then I can actually go publish on Prowcraft.xyz, which is kind of a Substack clone that it uses, you know, Web3, so wallets and NFTs to authenticate and authorize people. Uh, I can also use Guild.xyz to create a Telegram uh, channel and say, hey, only the people that have my NFT in their wallet can actually access this. I can use um, Beam.xyz, which is a video streaming tool uh, to only stream my video to people that have claimed one of my membership NFTs. Mm. And really for me, that's the power of Web3. It's like showing that we've decoupled the applications, uh, all of the names that I just mentioned and more obviously, from the underlying data, uh, which is the membership state and status. And you are the one that owns your followers and you're the one that owns your data and it, that data and follower whatever in whatever shape or form travels with you. And that's how it should. And it should flock. <laughs> it, so... <laughs> Yeah, it should flog, exactly. So I, it, it travels with me. Like, yes, it's a way to thesis, but it actually doesn't travel. Like, it's, it, it doesn't get stuck on any of these things. It's, it's, it, it, it sits on the blockchain, and any application can easily hook into that. It doesn't actually travel. It's it's sure, all there sure. on the blockchain and can be leveraged by any of these applications. Just conceptually, I'm just thinking, like, yeah. front-end-wise, right? Just as a user, you think, oh, I'll just I'll take everyone with me, right? Yep, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. And and they're, it's it's basically they're, they're, they're with you wherever you go, yes. rather than... than and, oh, on this other database that I don't have access to because that website went down or because I decided to stop using it or X, Y, Z. You mentioned Mastodon. I'm, the only way I'm fam- familiar with it is, um, so it's, it's it's more of a open source software, right? In terms of for running self-hosted social networking services, but it's also its own um, its own actual service? So, yeah, exactly. So Mastodon is, it's actually, uh, again, I, I don't want to dismiss it. It's actually a very powerful tool and uh, it's really in, in the vein of what I built before at Superfeeder and all these things. It uses this uh, protocol called ActivityPub mm-hmm. and basically acts as a small Twitter um, that supports what is called federation, uh, which in practice means that I can follow somebody who is using an, another server somewhere. And so you have this so-called Fediverse where many, many multiple, very small Twitters can actually interact with one another. It works in the same way that email works, where I can use Gmail and use Hotmail and I'm still able to send you an email rather than just be stuck on a specific platform. So Mastodon is, you know, if you want the email protocols applied to something like Twitter. Back to back to your roadmap. You talked about Flocker. Yes. Uh, is there anything else that you can disclose or talk to us about in terms of what's next in, in the upcoming months, year? Absolutely. So we built Flocker. Uh, that's one of the applications. Uh, we're we also making progress on the protocol. So the protocol, we're we're adding, we're making four different uh, things right now. Cross chain purchases. I mentioned this earlier. 
um, swap and purchase, which is a cool one. It's the idea that, oh, this membership is priced in a token that I don't have. So maybe even it's on Polygon, but it uses, you know, a fancy token that I've never bought before. And I have USDC. Well, in one single transaction, I can swap my USDC into the fancy token into an NFT without actually having to go on Uniswap or any of these exchanges to do that. So that's a, a second thing that we're building. A third thing that we're building is what we call uh, cross-chain governance. It's the idea that, you know, we have the DAO, you mentioned this, on mainnet, uh, but we're on all of these small networks. Mm -hmm. How can we make decisions on mainnet that would apply to all of the smaller, not smaller, but all of the other networks like Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing that we're building is introducing a new mechanism for the protocol um, that would allow for... Uh, the protocol to capture a fee. So it's the idea that right now, if you're a creator and you deploy a membership and you say, hey, I'm going to charge 10 USDC, well, you're going to get 10 USDC no matter what. We want to add a mechanism, uh, a fee switch, basically, that would allow the protocol to say, on any transaction that happens, the protocol captures, you know, 0.1%, 1%, 5%, I don't know what it is, it's not my decision, so that we have a way to kind of keep funding the work of the, of the, of the protocol and keep making it sustainable in that way. And so that's, uh, that's the, the fourth mechanism we're going to introduce as part of the core protocol. Does that make sense? That makes sense. That's, that's awesome. You have your hands full. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're, we're definitely very busy, very excited about you know, what we're building. Um, despite all of the turbulence in the crypto space, uh, which I'm sure you've heard of as well, sure. uh, we're more excited than ever because it's pretty obvious that you know, the last bull market has brought tens of millions of people to their Web3 space. Right. And, and now we get you know, an opportunity to convert these tens of millions of people to becoming more active users, whether they're just speculators. Right. I mean, yeah, it's growing pains, right? I mean, you have to weed out the bad actors and that's just how every sort of revolution happens and evolution. So it's a cycle. So we just have to... It's a cycle. It's a very iterative yes. process. Sometimes it's frustrating. And honestly, I, you know, I, I, I feel the pain of all of the people that lost money uh, in, in some of these uh, scams because let's call them what they are. They are scams. They are scams. Yeah. My plea is that we change the mindset. I think it's... Um, yes. We change the mindset around looking at how things work using the things rather than actually tell about the magic things that it could do. Uh, one thing that I'm really, really proud of, of what Unlock has done is like we're very transparent. We do what we say and we say what we do and actually works the way. We're not, you know, we're not selling moon things. We're not saying, oh, this is going to be like, no, no, no. This is what we've done today. You can actually use it today. You can play with this and it works as advertised. We're not trying to kind of yes. sell something that doesn't exist yet. And I really want people in the ecosystem to focus more on that uh, rather than just look at the, the fancy speculative things that look really nice or could do something really cool, but actually are not working or not even usable at all today. Right. Well, you have a concrete solution and you have use cases for it. So and it, you're just continuing. So it's a completely different story than the financial speculation. So absolutely. Right. Um, yeah, no, we just have to keep plugging along. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know this has been mentioned, but it's it's. I think it's important. You have a, a grant program. Yes. I mean, there are many teams out there that are looking for, for opportunities despite the market turbulation. What are some interesting development opportunities or things that you see that need to be developed? Yeah, so more integration. So we, I talked about Paragraph, a highlight of other DCs, but like we have a WordPress plugin actually, uh, and a second team actually created an, another WordPress plugin. This is good. I want to see plugins in Mastodon, we mentioned earlier, in Tumblr. I want to see plugins for Zoom. Maybe there's actually a way to actually do token gated Zooms where only people that have a specific NFTs can actually watch uh, Zoom, uh, you know, a specific Zoom. Right. I want to do. I want to see people create, you know, podcasting platform that are token gated. Like, hey, the first half of the of the podcast is free for everyone. The second half. 
is you know you can only access if you have a specific NFT in your wallet. So these are just a, a small subset of ideas. But honestly, it's really up to you. Like as a, my, my plea to developers, like be creative. Think of something that you want to build. Get started with it. Reach out to us. Apply for a grant. Don't want to say it's easy to get again because you should do something real. But honestly, if you do something real, we'd love to actually do it with you and help you in any way we can. Well, this is awesome. Thanks, Julian. Um, are, are there any, I think we're wrapping up in terms of final thoughts. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd, you'd want to share or maybe topics to add or build on something that um, we didn't touch upon? Yeah, no, I, I think, again, like what, what we just talked about a couple of minutes ago, like start using things like dog fooding is a big part of what we do. Yeah. If you are into Web3, if you think this is interesting, uh, don't just talk to talk, walk the talk, like do actually, you know, I'm sure you have a wallet and you should have a wallet if, you, if, you, if you're interested in this. Uh, download the wallet, you know, I was going to say unlock things like deploy a, a membership contract on, you know, Polygon. It's, you know, it's cheap. It takes a couple seconds. Uh, it's going to cost you less than a cent in gas. It shouldn't be a big deal. Um, maybe buy a membership for somebody else. Um, you know, maybe it's, okay, $5. I don't want to say spend on my blog because I don't want you to pay for my <laughs> blog specifically, but... You know, I come to the Unlock Discord. Uh, we have a co- ton of examples that you can play with. Um, do that because it's a way for you to kind of realize, okay, this is how it works and this is what I could do next. As a member, as a designer, as a developer, as a, a marketer, uh, this is how I would use this and this are the kind of thing that I want to do next. Awesome. Well, you guys are very active. Um, you have your your Twitter spaces calls, you have your, your channel, you have all kinds of things. In terms of, this is just the cliche um, question, but where what's the best place for people to follow you or get in touch or so follow unlock unlock-protocol.com come to the website uh use a you mean join the discord i think it's the next step uh when you do this you're actually gonna have to claim uh, a free uh unlock membership nft your community membership um and that's a good way to actually uh try to try that i said we're also on a bunch of social networks uh you'll find the links on, on the unlock-protocol.com website uh github this is definitely a place where i would want to see more engagement uh we do actually have on a weekly basis now people opening pull requests, opening issues, you know, the more the merrier. Uh, if you're a developer, there's also a couple of bounties on there. So uh, feel free to look at these. Um, and personally, find me on my blog, ouvreboite, O-U-V-R-E dash B-O-I-T-E dot com or Julian 51 anywhere, uh, anywhere online. Well, awesome, Julian. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It's refreshing to talk about not only useful solutions, but solutions that are useful and part of a systemic change. I would actually say in our evolving network society, if I can borrow a, a term that thanks to a previous guest of mine on my podcast, and the fact that they are community driven, right, and growing in a healthy and transparent direction, just what you alluded to in the midst of current market challenges. So keep it up. We'll surely follow your work. And thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, And please uh, keep doing the podcast. I, I love it. Oh, thanks, Julian. Thanks again to our guest, as well as thank you everyone for listening. A big thanks goes to Coin Market League for co-sponsoring this episode. Thank you also to the Baria Music team for providing their music. You can check out their latest album on bariamusic.com. You can find all supporting information on our website, blockchainrecorded.com, and listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Stay healthy and tuned for our next episode.